That's all. We got one hit. You can't say on the air. Don't worry. Nobody's listening anyway. Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is the 25th of August, 2014. This is episode Holodinata. My name is Jake English, and here to lend some credibility to the proceedings is Scott Magnus. I'm not familiar with this football analogy you just made, so... If you're listening to our voices right now, you're most likely doing so at our website, which is birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. It is also possible that you found us at the Baltimore Sports Report Network, which can be found at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network. We are proud members of the Baltimore Sports Report Network and encourage you, if you like anything we say on this program, you're going to love the other shows on this network. Go and make sure you listen to those podcasts. You can also find us on, uh, let's see, Miro, Stitcher, Double Twist, iTunes. You can check us out on Facebook uh, at facebook.com slash BEVcast. You can find us on Google Plus and lots of other places, but the best place to find us is at Twitter, which is where we tweet at BirdseyeViewBAL. Also over at uh, BSR, make sure to check out the post-game live shows, which is Tuesdays and Thursdays, about eh, 5 to 15 minutes after each game. Uh, it's hosts from the Baltimore Sports Report Network breaking down the game in a way that does not involve Mars ads. And while you're at it, hey, please do us a favor. Go down to the very bottom of birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Find the Amazon link. That really helps us keep the lights on here while you do your shopping. All right. With all that done, Scott Magnus, what is your drink of the week? Jake, my drink of the week is a Basil Hayden's Whiskey on Ice. Wow. That's a man's drink. Again, what can I say? I'm a manly man. No, I'm surprised. That's a man's drink. What are you doing drinking it? Um, I need some chest hair. So. Nice. I am drinking a uh, Union Jack IPA by Firestone. You've been on an IPA cake lately. I have. I have. About six months now. It's delicious. It's del- Well, Scott, question for you. We can do this one of two ways. Should we sit here and talk about ourselves for the next 10 minutes, or should we talk about some Orioles baseball? Let's talk about Orioles baseball. All right, let's go ahead and do this with the uh, the medical wing. What do we have going on this week? Well, the big news out of the medical wing is Manny Machado looks like he is done for the season with season-ending surgery on the same exact ligament as last year, but in the other knee. Um, so it's a partial tear of the medial patellar femoral ligament, which, again, anybody that saw that on television going to instantly said, oh, that's, you know, that's that ligament. So No, I think anybody that saw it on TV said that's his knee. Oh, God, it's his knee. Yeah, some of us might And then everybody said, wait a minute, which knee was which? That's the conversation that took place in bars and living rooms and bedrooms across the greater Birdland area. This is why I highly recommend that people wrap string around their kneecaps so they know which one they entered previously. (laughs) All right, so what what do we make of this whole Manny Machado knee thing? Um, 
it's definitely interesting to see how the Orioles are approaching it. I think the one of the more interesting articles was Brittany Giroli's uh, blog that she put it out, which had several quotes from Richie Bansell's. And this quote really bothered me was, the hope was because it was partial that it wasn't as severe. The hope was that it would uh, scar down and we'd be able to get him back and see how it went. That in combination with Dr. El Atrache had always mentioned there was a risk, just given the way that Manny is structured physically predisposes him to that kind of injury. I just, you know, it comes back to the fact that the Orioles are relying so heavily on this doctor is a little concerning. Look, uh, if you are the Orioles and there is any chance that you can get Manny Machado back for these all-important games or the all-important playoffs, wouldn't you do everything you could to try to get that to happen? I mean, not saying that they want him to be hurt, not saying that they don't care about his health, but I'm saying if you are the club and you've got an amazing asset like this, aren't you going to do anything that you can to a certain point to at least see if you can try to make it happen? I see this as a Hail Mary play, similar to the platelet-rich plasma injection. What's wrong with that? Um, Hail Mary plays don't work in Baltimore. Mm. Now, Denver, you got another, Denver, you got another chance, but in right. Baltimore, not so much. So Manny's having his surgery. This sounds an awful lot like, like something that I've seen happen before. When will he be back? Oh, it'll be at the similar four to six month recovery time. Manny keeps coming back out and saying, well, it's not a full rupture like last year. It's only a tear, but a surgery is going to be a surgery. It's still going to be a four to six week period, four to six month period. And, uh, he's going to have a lot of physical rehab and, um, if everything works out fine, he'll be back hopefully before spring training. You know, the other thing, it, of course, it, they said before that he'd probably be back by the time the spring training of the season happens, and then he didn't get back until May. But the other thing, though, is that he knows this—he knows the drill now. You know, I think there will be a lot less worry on Manny's part about whether he can come back from this. It's you know, he's done it before. He knows the program. He knows how to operate at this point. You know, I'm not a doctor, but uh, it seems to me that. A recovery can only be better if the patient knows the drill, right? I guess so. The other interesting topic was that there was an abnormality found um, on Manny Machado's knee, similar to what he had in his other knee, um, and that's going to be fixed. And apparently, it has something to do with the alignment. And you wait, know, they, they don't want to do this again next year. Yeah, it's a tradition. That. But the fact that Manny Machado's knees have both been you know, are going to be surgically repaired and altered in you know before he's twenty three years old. It's got to give you a bit of worry and discomfort of what that actually means, especially going into next season, whether the Orioles are actually going to try to re-sign J.J. Hardy or not. You know, that that is an interesting point that you bring up because at this point, can you really say that Manny Machado is your shortstop of the future? I, I don't think you can. And I don't want to label him as injury-prone. I don't want to label him as damaged goods. He's, How can he's, you not label him as injury-prone? He's had the same injuries even back to 2011 when he was in the minor leagues. I don't want to say those things. But at the same time, I, I think if you're the Orioles, you have to be careful. And, you know, maybe the player that you thought you were getting is is not what you got. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's let's slow our roll there. You know, I don't think that's we need to go that crazy. No, I'm just saying you can't plan as if Manny Machado's just going to be the savior like you thought it was going to be. I think you need to— You realize we're talking about the Orioles here, right? Yeah. yeah they can pray and hope and everything. They're so. not big planners. No. I, I got it. Yeah. But— it does make you know the choices that the warehouse is going to have to make with some personnel decisions coming up uh, rather interesting. But let's not go too far down the rabbit hole. Uh, what do you say we dive into the SWAT? So we're going to go down the molehill and sell and go into this week on the Twitter. That's what I'm hoping. Okay. Uh, first thing I wanted to hit was uh, Adam Jones at Simply Adam Ten. He uh, I don't know if this is a backhanded compliment or what. He said the bearded caveman in right field for the O's is legit. 
stay hungry. That was right after he made that ridiculous play uh, out in, in uh, Chicago and then hit the two-run home run right afterward. Uh, Nick Markakis looked good in that game. He looked very good in that game. Um, maybe Adam Jones is going for some Geico endorsement for Nick Markakis. The bearded cape. So so easy, even the bearded caveman could yeah. do it. All right. Uh, next thing, if you'll allow me, that I wanted to hit was uh, this was a tweet uh, from at Be More Around Town, which, of course, is, is from uh, Be More Around Town. They took a, a picture of the Wrigley facade that showed an Orioles flag, a Baltimore City flag, and a Maryland flag flying uh, at the stadium, and they tweeted out, nice gesture by the Cubs, be more represent. I do think that's pretty cool by the Cubs. Yeah, it's it's pretty neat, especially right above it was the Maryland flag as well. Yeah, yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, luckily the Cubs fans were treated to a lot more of the Maryland flag inside the stadium, but that's neither here nor there. Um, speaking about other topics that really are, are not that big of a deal, um, there was a situation that occurred when Jake Arrieta was pitching, um, and it was posted by multiple individuals, but we're going to pick on one individual from, uh, his name is uh, Tim Gilman. He posts that, Tim in Baltimore, and he says, Arrieta has some kind of substance on his head, and he keeps grabbing it before every pitch. All right, stop. Just stop right there, Orioles fans. Stop trying to look at Arrieta and say, the only reason he is dominating us is because he's got a little pine tar on his head. That's not the case. Arrieta has been a great pitcher this whole season. He's refined his command, and this is the same pitcher that has gone out there and you know posted very close no-hitters back-to-back games. So Arietta is a good pitcher. You're going to have to get it over to Orioles fans. Arietta is a good pitcher. And and there are two two uh, ways of thinking about this. The first is Buck Walters, who said, I'm fine. I'm fine if they want to get a little something on their fingers yep. to get a grip on the ball. I'd much rather him have his command than not have his command, because otherwise it's going to be you know Adam Jones's knees. I think we're going to have to come to terms with the fact that almost everybody in the league does this. And frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if our guys didn't do it too. Yeah. You know, we, we want to cry from the rooftops about cheating when our guys lose. But at the same time, I think this is one of those things that happens in baseball, like st- uh, sign stealing and any of the other quote unquote cheat cheating that you can say, this is part of the game. And sometimes the guys that are doing it beat the other guys that are doing it and it doesn't work out your way. Totally agree. This next one comes from the individual who knocks or the one who knocks. Major League Baseball posted on their Twitter account that at Brian Cranston Sunday Baseball from Brian Wilson, and it's wonderful on so many levels. Here's what it says on the baseball. I can use a guy like you, Walter White. Is that a reference to something? Is that, is that an Arrested Development uh, reference? No, that's a Breaking Bad res- reference. Oh, that other show that everybody watches and I don't. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, actually, it was really cool, too, because Brian Cranston, earlier this week, had always wanted to meet Vin Scully. He basically listened to him growing up as a boy, and he finally got to meet Vin Scully in the booth and get an autograph from him. And I think that's really cool to have a childhood memory finally come to fruition as well. So good job, Brian Cranston. Way to uh, pop up again, and good luck tonight in the Emmys as well. And the final tweet for the week I'd like to go through is... Um, an individual that follows us, Jesse Fask, and you can follow him at JP Fask, posts the largest first place leads on August 21st in Orioles history. Number one was the 69 Orioles with a 12 and, uh, with a 15 game lead. Number two is the 66 Orioles with a 12 and a half game lead. Three was the 70 Orioles with a 10 and a half game lead. The 71 Orioles were number four with a 10 and a half game lead. And number five, 2014 Orioles with a eight and a half game lead on August 21st. That's some elite company that the Orioles are in right there. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's nice that uh, that these kind of things happen, especially because sometimes you need those big leads going into uh, into the end of the season. So, without further ado, why don't we go ahead and talk about uh, the reason we needed that big lead? This is the end. Hold your breath and count to ten. Feel the earth move and then. Hey Scott, if you uh, if you listen to certain Orioles fans, uh, the sky is falling. We should panic. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, six game lead coming into Monday night. It's just absolutely a situation where the playoffs are doomed, and there's no way the Orioles are going to win the division. At the, at the beginning of the season, if you told me that we were going to be leading the division by six games at this point in the season, I would say pack it in. We're we're done. Yeah, I would have been like, hey, you're high. Great job. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's get into it. Manny Machado is lost for the season. Woe is us. But the real question is, now what? I mean, what are our options? Okay, there's a few options here. You can continue to play Chris Davis at third base and Steve Pierce at first base, which, again, has been the situation which Buck has been going with for a while. Um, the other option is you put Ryan Flaherty at third base and you hope that he somehow comes around, even though he hasn't over the past few seasons. So you're saying bench Davis, play Flaherty? Yeah, and platoon first base between Pierce and Davis. Okay, I'm with you. Or your only other option is to go and try to make a claim or a trade for a third baseman and hope hope he makes it through, which I I don't see that happening. Um, You know, there's been plenty of people on, uh, you know, the Birdland in terms of the, 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 on terms of Twitter and on Orioles Hangout asking for Adrian Beltre to be uh, traded um, and the Orioles are trying to pick him up. Here's the problem with that. The Orioles would have to give up a lot. And the other, oh, Adrian Beltre, not free. Yeah. I imagine that. Huh? The other thing is, you know, if, we are going to trade Beltre. The one individual that would pop in my head that would have to, you know, be traded would be Bundy and Harvey. So are you willing to trade Bundy and Harvey for Beltre? The question also is whether Bundy can even be traded because he's on the 40-man roster. So would Bundy have to pass through waivers? I, I just don't see it happening. I don't think anyone in the organization sees it happening. I think it's a knee-jerk reaction from Orioles fans saying, oh my God, we lost the best third baseman in Major League Baseball, let's go out and get the next one, best it, one. It's people who do a lot of trading in video games and assume that that's the way it works in the majors as well. Just because your star player goes down doesn't mean that you can go get another one in August. That's just not the way it works, particularly when you've got every other team in your division that's still, quote-unquote, in the hunt trying to block you 
from getting those players. Because that's how waivers work. You can play for the block. Circle does not well, always get the square. But let's come th- back through this. Beltre did clear waivers completely, so he can be traded to other teams. It's just a question of who could the Orioles be willing to give up, and I just don't see the need to give up Bundy and Harvey in that kind of move. Um, the other thing that bothers me, too, is if you bring Beltre in, he does, he'll be here for several years at third base. So you basically are saying we are— For his decline years. Yeah. You're basically saying you're moving Machado over to shortstop, which, again, if Beltre comes in— I really am curious on how Hardy reacts to that news as well. I'm saying, oh, great. Beltre's here. I'm done. I mean, there's no place for me on this team. He gets to go play in New York. Well, I realize that. But again, (laughs) for the rest of the season, he's just like, oh, this is my swan song in Baltimore. Great. Well, okay. So you're saying that you don't think the Orioles are going to go out and get anybody else. That means you're down to your first two options, which is either play Chris Davis exclusively at third or play Ryan Flaherty almost exclusively at third, platoon Chris Davis and... Uh, Steve Pierce at first. W- what do you go with? Uh, <laughs> honestly, I'd still put Chris Davis at third base. That's just me. I really, I have to think, in my opinion, that if the Orioles are going to be legitimate um, contenders in the playoffs, Chris Davis has to eventually turn it around. You know, <sighs> I don't see Ryan Flaherty as that star that basically makes or breaks the Orioles' playoff chances. I do see Chris Davis as the make-or-break piece, that X factor that really could make them into a World Series champion. Here's the thing. Uh, defensively, Flaherty's better at third. Oh, absolutely. I think that's that's clear. M- my problem is, is that offensively, Flaherty is going to be more consistent at a lower level. Right? Well, he, it's he, hard to say that, though, because you've had Davis performing in a similar fashion no, 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 for no, the no. past year. D- d- come come, okay, come with me on this journey. Uh, I, I think that Ryan Flaherty, you basically know what you're going to get. Right. And so the argument is, isn't that better than what you're getting from Davis? And my argument is no, because the highs that Chris Davis can provide are much higher than the highs that Flaherty can provide. Because Chris Davis, even when he is struggling, can do something like lock himself into a three home run game. Right. Yeah. Chris Davis can have a, a week where he hits 150 or 180 and still has three home runs. Right. And, and whereas you can't, hope and pray for a home run every time he comes to bat, you're kind of at the situation where you're like, you've got two players that suck, but one one can do something every once you know, in a while. This is a really interesting point that you're bringing up, and I think we all can look at Chris Davis and say, man, he's doing absolutely horrible out there in terms of his plate approach, his K percentage is above 40% right now. But Jake, you really bring up an interesting point here, and it's the ability to make a difference in the game. I'm going to bring up a stat for you. We've talked about this before. It's Win probability added. And we talked about this being a big portion of the bullpen. Darren O'Day has been big on win probability added. Um, Zach Burton has been big in terms of win probability added because, again, they give the, the team the ability to win more games. Now, number four on the team right now is Chris Davis. He has a .42 win probability added. Right below him is Manny Machado at .31. Hey, we're not saying that name anymore. Yeah. I mean... I'm not going to give a complete, you know, win probability out is everything about it, but Chris Davis has had some very clutch moments this season. I'm not saying that, you know, he's a make or break situation, but I do like him in that lineup as the possibility to break a game open. Here's the other thing. He's not going to get any worse. He can't, right? It's hard to believe he would get any worse. And And if you've got a good team, they can usually carry one struggling player, right? Yeah. Would, would you rather that struggling player being carried along be Chris Davis or Ryan Flaherty? 
Yeah, uh, I, 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 and I think it comes down to, are you going to be trading off defense for the potential for offense? And I would rather have the potential for offense in the playoffs. All right, I am right there with you. The other thing is I, It's that, somewhat illogical, but I... Well, the, the thing is that Chris Davis commands respect. Even when he's struggling, he's dangerous, right? He's very, He's losing that respect very quickly, though. Fair enough. That is a very good point. All right, let me ask you a couple other questions. Can the Orioles win out the AL East without Manny Machado? Yes or no? Yes. All right. Can the Orioles win in the playoffs without Manny Machado? Right now? No. Are the playoffs being played right now? No. The question was, can they win in the playoffs without Manny Machado? Yes, they can. Um, someone's going to have to step up, just like that has constantly happened this whole season. Whether it be Steer Peace, Steve Pierce that stepped up, or Nelson Cruz, or Caleb Joseph there for a brief period, or the Del Razor himself, yeah, or Manny Machado even, you know, for you know the June and July period stepped up as well for this team. Someone's going to need to step up in September and October and really be a difference maker. It could be a multitude of individuals. It could be Adam Jones. It could be Nick Markakis. Someone is going to need to be that superstar in the playoffs and basically carry this team. There's plenty of people that on this team that are above average, but someone needs to be that superstar in the playoffs. The the Lou Ford, if you will. The Lou Ford, yes, exactly. All right, so we talked a little bit at the top about whether or not you bring back J.J. Hardy, whether or not Manny is still considered the third baseman of the future. Let, let me ask you a question. These are just questions I ask because I have to. Mm-hmm. It's It's the podcasting rule. Jonathan Scope played exclusively at second base once the Orioles figured out that they had a shortstop of the future in Manny Machado, and they also had a gaping hole at second base. However, when Manny Machado was not available, they tried to make him work at third base and tried to make him basically relearn it at the major league level. Yeah. If Manny Machado, for some reason, can't be the third baseman of the future, can't be the shortstop of the future for this club— can Jonathan Scope be used in any other capacity other than second base at this point? I say no, and I don't know why you would move him. I mean, we saw what a disaster it was in third base. I don't see how you can move someone that, you know, is doing so well in defensive metrics right now in second base and say, eh, we're going to move him over to third base. I think that's just disaster calling. I, I come back to who are you going to put in second base? You're going to put Ryan Flaherty there? You basically have just flip-flopped the deck and shuffled around the, the, the deck chair. So, I don't see the point of that move. No, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Now, if you want to bring back Brian Roberts, that might be another topic. Stop it. All right, second topic. We're going to move on from Manny Machado because it it depresses me. Let's go on to the Orioles' road trip. They went 4-5 and against the likes of Cleveland, the Chicago White Sox, and uh, the Chicago Cubs. Now, the Orioles went literally from uh, printing playoff tickets to asking fans to step off the ledge. This was not a good road trip. It was a very bad road trip, but it was interesting because Cleveland happened. Everyone was upset. We talked about this on our last week's show. Chicago happened. And coming into that Friday, people were like, we're going to win 100 games. And I'm like, no, we're not. 100 games? Try 600 games. The Orioles will never lose again in the Uh, history of their franchise. We'll get somewhere slightly over 90. And I literally look like, they're like, man, you're a hater on this team. And I'm like... No, Scott Magnus. If there is one thing you are, it is a hater of Orioles. I was like, no, I'm really not a hater. I just baseball teams can't. This baseball team can't do this well over this long period of time. They're like, you're a hater. You don't understand. This seems a good team, and I'm like, oh, I realize it's a good team. It's just not a hundred win team. It's a you know low nineties, mid nineties team at best. It might be a good team. It hasn't shown us that it's a great team yet. And Uh, I don't know about that. I mean, they were a really. I mean, they were a great team. Post All Star break, I oh, think you're saying they're elite. Is that what you're saying? 
I would say they were a top five team post All Star break. All right, all right, all right. I mean, the you didn't have any you didn't have any back to back losses since the uh, last week in June. I mean, that's pretty darn good. Uh, they had, had been swept for over thirty games. I mean, seventy games coming into the Chicago Cubs series. So I'd say that's a pretty good job for this team. I mean, they're definitely an elite caliber team. They're a playoff team. All right, fine. So the Orioles lost the series in Cleveland. Um, then they went and they beat a terrible team in the White Sox in three straight. It was uh, Joy in Mudville every night. Then they lost to a terrible team uh, in the north side. And, boy, it would have been nice if the Birds had showed up half as well as their fans did in Wrigley because uh, those those people that traveled all that distance and spent all that money, they, they deserved better than that, didn't they? <sighs> it was a bad you know, a bad luck performance all around. You had to kind of know that something weird was going to be happening with Jake Arrieta and Siyoshi Wada pitching in that series. Did the stat man just say we had bad luck? Yes, we did. If you look at the Babbitt for that series, the Orioles had a 174 Babbitt over the Cubs series. That's bad, Jake. That's bad luck. So we just need to find a way to train our luck dragon? Uh, yes, we need to learn how to train our luck dragon. The fact that I you know about the luck dragon now makes me so happy as a person. I just envision it as tra- uh, Trogdor the Burning Rider, if that's all right. Yeah, pretty much. I'm actually working on a song for the luck dragon, by the way. Oh, God. That's not... No, we didn't. Babip! We should, we should be barred from singing for a while. Babip was the luck. Oh, God. All right. So, as per usual when this it team... It was the nasty luck. Are you finished here? Yeah, I think I'm done. All right, thanks. Thanks for peeking early. Because um, it was Babbitt! Okay, I'm done now. <laughs> As per usual, when this team struggles, uh, the bats went quiet. Uh, we had Nick Markakis who went, oh, forever. Let me ask you this, Scotty. Is it time for him to have a day off? Um, No. Well, yes and no. He's played every single game this season. So you're getting into a moment in September where with the call-up start happening, it'd be a good chance for him to rotate in and get some time off. Yeah, but the other thing is that if we've got a guy like Delman Young who's... who's Excuse batting, me. Hang on. If we want if we have a guy like Delman Young whose bat we want to get in the lineup, isn't right field the best place to hide him? No. Short wall? No. You'd rather have him in left? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair point. So the Nick, glove should be burnt. It should be put into a can. Gasoline should be poured over to it, and a match should be dropped in. So it should get the same treatment as Vlad Guerrero's glove? Yes. And as Kevin Gregg's body? Yes. All right, I like it. Uh, Nick Markakis was over forever. Chris Davis was terrible. Look, the entire offense went to sleep. It's like the whole offense had a, had a sleeper hold put on it. And, uh, you know, some of that is, as you indicated, late late part of the season, the dog days of August. It's also, you know, being away from home. And also the fact that sometimes these things happen to good clubs. These things happen. You saw? Did you watch Friday's game? Did you see some of the defensive plays that the Cubs made on that game? It was amazing. The Cubs played out of their mind this weekend. Their Babbitt was really high. The Orioles' Babbitt was really low. Stop saying Babbitt. Babbitt, Babbitt, Babbitt. Babbitt! Okay, stop <laughs> saying Babbitt, but more importantly, stop <laughs> squealing Babbitt and peeking the mics. That's really important. All right, so we're saying step off the ledge. It's not that big deal. The other thing is, Orioles fandom, do you have to have such emotional range? Does it have to be the highest of highs, the lowest of lows, and back to the highest of highs? It's just dizzying. It's hard to keep up with. But, Scott, I'm going to say it. I'm, I'm on record. I think the Orioles are making the playoffs, all right? They're literally punching their own 
ticket to the playoffs. A 90% uh, higher. Yeah, I'd say it's time to start printing some playoff tickets. All right. If they're going to make it, we should probably figure out who's going to be there. Kick it. Jake, by August 31st, the Orioles are going to need to set a playoff roster. The Orioles are able to make a few shifts based on their roster of having several men that are going to be on the 60-day DL, allowing for substitution in their roster. All right. I got to admit, I need you to explain this to me like I'm a small child, using as small words as possible. Okay, so the Orioles are going to submit their 25-man roster, um, but there's an exception in the playoff roster eligibility that allows them to substitute out players on their roster um, that are on the 60-day DL. So, Johan Santana, Matt Wieters, and I'm assuming Manny Machado will be added to the 60-day DL, which will allow three spots available that can be rotated in for eligibility. All right, I'm going to stop you again. This okay. is me being dumb. So, you're assuming that they're going to move Manny Machado to the 60-man DL just to take advantage of this loophole? Why wouldn't they put him on the 60-day DL regardless? Because there's no other reason to do it. Well, but you put him on there to use the loophole. Okay. Why wouldn't you? I mean, All right, so so they're going to do it, take advantage of the loophole, and and basically what you're saying is that the loophole exists that you got your 25 men now. Yes, you have to set a 25 man roster, but if you've got guys on the 60 day DL, you can basically expand the pool of guys that you can put on the 25 man roster by three. Yes, so you so it's like a three man taxi squad between each each series. It's a larger pool, basically. You still got to narrow it down to 25 per series. But you have a larger pool to pick from. But but isn't anybody from the 40-man no. eligible for the 25-man playoff roster? No. Ah, see, now we're getting somewhere. No. You, so basically, people that are on the 60-man are are extra on top of that 25-men that are eligible to be dedicated to your playoff roster. That's correct. Okay, I'm with you. Now, if I'm not mistaken, the playoff rosters are set by series, correct? That is correct. So, for example, when the Orioles went into the 2012 Wild Card Series, they had like 11 people in their bullpen because why the hell not? But those had to be from the same 25 guys plus 60-day DL? That is so, correct. So it wasn't from the 40-man? That is, it, it could have been from the 40-man. Then they could pick people from the 40-man, but it had to be individuals that they substituted in from the 40-man. That were in that 25-28-man? Yes. Correct pool yes. okay okay so, so you're basically saying to me that that uh they can they can basically define their 25 man roster yep and then for each uh 60 day dl e- person for each post game series they can swap out one of these three extra guys for their 25 man roster correct okay i i think i almost understand well that's great so you've got your 25 man roster let's let's uh let's first ask this who um who do you think it doesn't make it from the current roster into the playoffs? Well, the one thing we need to keep in mind that is if you go into the playoffs and you say I don't want this person on the playoff roster, they have to be designated for assignment unless they have options. Oh, so it's it's basically it's the equivalent of sending them to the minors. That is correct. So, and all the same rules apply? Same rules roster apply. Wise? Yep. 
So, for example, Abado Jimenez, as much as we do not want him on the playoff roster, is going to have to be on the playoff roster because he can't be DFA'd. Huh. Now, mm, wow. (laughs) How's that for a kick in the nuts? Yeah, no kidding. So they couldn't, uh, well, they couldn't DFA him? Well, they could, but someone might claim him then. Who who would claim Obaldo Jimenez for a zillion dollars? They wouldn't claim him for a zillion dollars. They'd just claim him for whatever they pay him, and then we have to pay the rest? That is correct. Oh, this game sucks. Yeah. So there's a few individuals that I think are interesting because they have options. Um, One of those individuals is Nick Hunley. So Nick Hunley is a right-handed catcher that's been a backup catcher for Caleb Joseph, and, you know, he's done very well. But the question is, going into a playoff series, whether or not you really want to have two right-hand catchers on your roster. My question would be, do you put Steve Clevenger as your backup catcher, since you're probably not going to be using him a lot, except perhaps as a left-handed hitter, as a pinch hitter? i, I got to be honest, though. When you start swapping out catchers, you also start messing with the psyche of the pitchers. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not saying have Steve Clevenger be the predominant catcher. I'm saying Caleb Joseph is your catcher throughout the series. But you've got Steve. In case there was an emergency and Caleb Joseph's like, oh, my God, my knee, I just went up. You could bring Steve Clevenger as your backup in. But Steve Clevenger basically just serves as a left-handed bat pinch hitter, and that's it. Yeah, I got to be honest. I'm not sure I love that move. I, I see where you're going with that. The question is, what benefit does Nick Hunley have if if Caleb Joseph is going to be on there? I mean, it's a, it's a fair point. I just don't see it happening. And Nick Hunley does have options, so you can put him down, and he's not put right. to the DFA process. Again, I'm not saying you're crazy. I just, I, from a Buck Showalter, I like my guy's perspective. Don't see it happening. Okay, but I'm, I'm, I'm willing to say you're not crazy. All right, what else you got? Um, Miguel Gonzalez is another individual that I think is a borderline case. He is a fifth starter, and it's really not necessary to have five starters going into an ALDS or even an ALCS series. You really only need four starters for your rotation. Yeah, in, in a short series, you can also empty the bullpen, so having a mm-hmm. long guy is really not a, a consideration. God, I would hate for Miguel Gonzalez to be left off of a playoff roster because he has options, but... You're right. I could definitely see it happening. Not to mention, Abaldo Jimenez is going to have to be on that playoff roster, which means that he could be the long man if you absolutely needed him. Can we stop saying Abaldo Jimenez? Just saying. Which comes back to my next point, which is TJ McFarland. Again, might not be necessary for a playoff roster. He's a long man. If you've got Jimenez out there, is TJ McFarland really necessary? Well, you know, you've got a a fair point, and I feel like... I feel like I run the danger of of being a TJ McFarland defender. You are a TJ McFarland defender. Okay. By the way, Harry Carey impression was amazing. Yeah, it was all right. Oh, it was amazing, okay? Yeah, it was all right. It was amazing. He was a Chicago White Sox fan, though. I feel like it would have really been something if he was a, as a, a Cubs, Cubs fan. fan. Yeah, no, it was amazing. Moving on. All right. So I, I'm admitting to the fact that I'm a TJ McFarland defender. I'm giving away that bias. I'm just letting you know right now, okay? I, I hear you. But the way things are going right now, there's a dangerous situation. There are runners on base. It's the playoffs. It's game whatever. You need somebody to come in and get out a lefty. Are you going to go to Brian Mattis or are you going to go to TJ McFarland? I'm going to go to Brian Mattis. Are you sure? Yes. Because I feel like Brian Mattis has really gone from the guy that is absolutely going to get too far. I'm going to Andrew Miller first. Every <laughs> well, thank you. But but you know you know what I'm saying here. I feel like Brian Mattis has brought him himself from an absolute to a liability in just a year. And if you're going to get rid of TJ McFarlane, you're basically going to say, I have to depend on Brian Mattis as my loogie. And 
geez, that's just, that's a far more dicey than it used to be. Okay. Um, let's go with people that are, are interest to me, at least that could be brought onto the roster. We've already mentioned Steve Clevenger as an individual that could be substituted onto the playoff roster. Proud of Pigtown. Everybody loves the story. Okay. I, I hear you. The other individual that is really interesting to me to bring up into the playoff roster from the bullpen is Ryan Webb. He was the fourth best bullpen arm prior to his demotion. Yes, 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 yes. And and the only reason he's down there is because he's out because uh, he has options. He has options. So yep. my question would be: Does Ryan Webb come back up and is a member of this playoff roster? I say yes. I could see it happening again. Who would you get rid of? Would it be Gonzalez? I would put Miguel Gonzalez down. I would basically have Gonzalez start his next start and then demote him just for the ALDS. Just for well, no. Listen, Gonzalez is going to pitch. When when was the last time he pitched? He pitched on Saturday, right? Right. Okay. So next time he pitches will be sometime this week. That means you can demote him and then he can come back up September 1st. So you could bring Webb up and basically have him be on your 30, on your 25 man roster. Okay. And then at some point you could swap Gonzalez back on for one of these 60 day DL guys. You could, I guess, but I don't know why you would. Okay. So you're saying you're going to go the entire playoffs without Miguel Gonzalez? Yeah. All right. Um, the other individuals that really are interesting to me are two players that are not on the 40-man roster. And these are stretches, but I think they're interesting players. The one is Quinton Berry. And I like Quinton Berry a lot because, again, he's a left-handed batter, but he offers a ton of speed on the base pass. He'd be really interesting as a pinch runner in late innings and close games. I agree with you. You know what I think the real strength of Quinton Berry is? What's that? He's not David Lowe. Again, David Lowe is going to have to be on the playoff roster because he has no options. No, 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 no. You can DFA David Lowe. No, because he's still arbitration eligible, and Dan Duquette is not going to let David Lowe go. Somebody, you are going to learn to love David Lowe Somebody eventually. else can have David Lowe. You don't want to do they that. They can have That's him. It's not going to happen. No, they can have him. Their fan base can love him. They're really going to love what this guy has to offer. Quinton Berry could be the new David Lowe, and I would, I would welcome him with open arms. I, I don't see that happening. The other individual that is interesting to me is Buck Britton. And I don't see this move being happening in the playoff, but it's an interesting situation. We're going to have to see if Buck Britton even comes up in September. But having a utility left-handed batter that might be slightly better than Ryan Flaherty is of interest to me. You know, he's a left-handed batter who might maybe kind of, almost sort of kind of be better than Ryan Flaherty unless, but, he's, unless he's facing playoff caliber pitchers. Correct. But he's not as good in the field, and he's not as versatile in the field. I agree with you about that. And, I, I, and that's not to take anything away from Buck Britton, but again, this is why Ryan Flaherty, much to the chagrin of a lot of Orioles fans, this is the reason why Ryan Flaherty has a job, because he's really good defensively and can do a lot of things. Okay, so can we stick with the fact that we've got three pl- players here that could be 60-day DL players that could be replaced? Ryan Webb, mm-hmm. Steve Clevenger, and Quentin Barry. Uh, I'm willing to give you Quentin Berry. I do not agree about uh, Ryan. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll also point out, too, that there is an open spot on the 40-man roster at this moment. Quentin Berry could be that 40-man. Okay. I, I can see that happening. I can totally see that happening. I don't love Steve Clevenger as an option for this team. Uh, but, Scott, I've been known to be wrong before. Uh, a, a lot, actually. I feel like at, at least you know six or seven times this season I, I, I've been known to be wrong. Six or seven. I think it's harder than that. Yikes. When it comes to twisting, I just got to keep insisting. Oh, baby. You sure do swing. When it comes to twisting, I just got to keep insisting. Oh, daddy. Hey, you are the king. 
Baby, you've got me beat up and down inside out and across. Oh, yeah. Right in the middle of the night when the moon is shining bright, I, you're the boss. Hey, Jake, uh, guess what? I won again. So, uh, you gotta stop doing that, man. You're making me look bad. Yeah, well, too late for that. But I've gone up 12 to 6 to 2 now. Um, last week's stat was contact percentage. And believe it or not, Jake, Nick Marcakis had a contact percentage of 85.3%. Average had a contact percentage of 76.4%. And yet the stats don't really make a lot of sense in this regard. Jones had a 394 WOBA and a 154 weighted runs created plus. Nick Marcakis, as we pointed out, was in a funk this week with a 156 WOBA and a negative 12 rated ones created plus. But Jake, I'm going to ask you to, to go back and look at the Babbitt. I thought we weren't going to say Babbitt anymore. Babbitt! I definitely <laughs> said you weren't going to scream into the mic anymore. All right, so Jones had a 389 Babbitt. Marcakis had a 118 Babbitt. Marcakis, he even had a better line drive percentage at 22.2 to 15.8. So Jake, what do we make of this stat for contact percentage? You know what I think? I think it's crap. I think it's a crap stat over our seven-day sample size. Stop. Whoa. Whoa. Why do you get to say that stats are crap, and every time I say that they're crap, you argue with me? Because I can scream Babbitt into the microphone. You can't. We've, we've covered this. Yes, this stat is crap. This and many others in your tool bo- toolbox are crap. So, Jake, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do a redo on this week, and we're going to go back to 11 to 6 to 2. Call it a charity case, but... No, no, no. I do not need your pity. I do not need your... Of any people in this world, Scott, you are the last person I need pity from. Honestly, um, after looking at your fantasy football draft, yes, you need pity. I did much better this year than last. (laughs) Thank you very much. I'm just glad you didn't take a kicker in the fourth round. (laughs) (laughs) I I was going to take one in the fourth and another in the fifth. It was a solid strategy. It was. Defense in the sixth. I I had it all mapped out. It just... Just you know, didn't work out for my I, board. I keep telling you, Matt Stover is no longer in the league. <laughs> so, Jake, what's your stat for this week? All right, I'm going to go rather old school, and I'm going to say OBP. Okay, on base percentage, um, I am going to go with. Hmm. Wow, Jake, why don't you go ahead and pick first this week? I'm, I'm like I said, charity. Dude, you are just like charity. Do you need, do you need a kidney? What is this? Uh, what can I say? I'm just going to give it up to you this week. So, what do you think, Jake? Yeah, on base percentage, yeah. I'm going to go with Steve Pierce. I think it's a good pick. Um, I'm going to hope that Nick Marcakis turns it around. I'm going to go with Nick the Stick. All right. That is also not a bad pick as long as he's not spending a lot of time sucking. And uh, with that, when we go on to talk about guys who are spending a lot of time sucking, we we have to do it, Scott. We have to go through the guys that were good. We have to go through the guys that were bad. And then there's that other category, the guys that were ugly. That's right. It's that time again. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. In this segment, we basically break down the last week of Orioles baseball, and we decide who had a great week, who had a terrible week, and who, frankly, made us embarrassed to be Orioles fans. Generally, the way this thing goes, I go first so that by the time we get down to the ugly, Scott can go last because his rants usually far surpass the quality of my own. Uh, for the good this week, I'm going to go with Orioles fans. And though I beat up on you, Birdland, for your fickle approval of the team I love so much, 
I'm, I've got to give it to you. Way to flock to Chicago. The amount of representation that the Orioles had uh, in the stands in Wrigley, in town, was just fantastic. And not just at the Wrigley game. Even at you know the White Sox series, yeah, there was I a mean, good amount of there, Orioles fans there. There were some in the cell, but it was it was painfully evident at at Wrigley, and it was so nice to to hear the O to see you know orange in another stadium as a predominant color. I mean, it was like sixty forty Cubs at most of those games. I I was really proud of the way that the Orioles fans showed up, and I know it's not just expats living in Chicago. I mean, you saw all over social media planes full of Orioles fans heading out to Chicago. So Birdland, this is for you. Orioles fans, you are my good this week. My good for the week is going to go to Steve Pierce. He got hot right at the right time. Uh, This week he was 8 for 25, one home run, three RBIs. Steve Pierce continues to be um, the player that this team needs in bad moments. Um, You know, an argument could be made of him being a – the most valuable player for this team. Let's think what would it be like if the Orioles did not have him on this team and if the Blue Jays would have picked him up after he was designated for assignment. You know, people may may poo-poo your most valuable player argument, but make it most valuable Oriole. Yes. And uh, and, and I think you've got an argument. Like I said, I think Adam Jones is still your most valuable Oriole, but Steve Pierce deserves a tip of the cap and some consideration. Absolutely. All right, well, let's uh, let's go to the negative side here. For my bad, I'm going to go with Nick Marcakis. Nick Marcakis had an Awful, awful week. He was at one point 0 for 21. He just had nothing going on. Nick Markakis, you know, he disappeared at the worst possible time. And, uh, you know, he, and in that time he had seven strikeouts. He just wasn't getting it done. He's at the top of the order. He's He's got to get on base if this thing is going to go. My bad for the week is going to go to Kevin Gossman. Um, he went five innings against the Chicago Cubs for the loss. Um he had seven strikeouts, no walks, but the big issue with this was the two home runs given up. Both home runs were on fastball counts, um, and Kevin Gossman really needs to look at this and not get behind in counts and also not throw the fastball when um, the batters are sitting on fastballs. You know, again, we've come back to we didn't want, you know, Kevin Gossman had to come up because the Orioles needed him. But it would have been great to see him develop his breaking ball pitches further on throughout this year. And it doesn't seem like he's been doing a great job in developing these breaking ball pitches to be consistent. Um, if Kevin Gossman is going to succeed in the playoffs, he's going to have to have those breaking balls working effectively. Um, if not, you're going to see continual long fly balls and long home runs from Kevin Gossman on these fastballs. Either, yes. either that or he's going to be the guy that goes down instead of Miguel Gonzalez. Maybe, maybe. Um, so Kevin Gossman gets my bad for the week. All right. Sorry to cut you off. There. That's okay. All right. My ugly for this week. I mean, it's, it's obvious and it pains me to say it, but it's Chris Davis. Chris Davis has just been terrible. Uh, his slash line for this week is, is 091, 130, 136, 267. He was two for 22 this week with eight strikeouts to go along with it. He had one double. Uh, he, his extra base hits was one double, and that was half of the hits he got this week. It's wretched. And uh, look, you know, you and I talked about it at the top of the podcast, but he's got to get it together if this team is going to go somewhere. He really does have to stop scraping below the Mendoza line. Yeah. It's just ugly. Ugly. Drake Miley for the week is going to go to the bandwagon. Pink Hat Nation? Well, no, it was the bandwagon for Orioles Nation this week of jumping off last weekend, jumping back on on the White Sox series, and then jumping back off on the Cubs series. Orioles fans, your need to get your 
your your stuff together, your S together, needless to say. Um, this whole flip-flop nature of, oh my gosh, it's so terrible. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Get your stuff together. Sometimes, folks, you need to ride through the good with the bad, and you can't just jump ship to you know the best cause at that time and just say, oh, this is not what I expected, or this is not what I wanted, and just take the easy route out. Folks, sometimes you got to work through the hard times in order to appreciate what it is. You know, we suffered through 14 years of bad, bad, bad baseball. And I think we can appreciate how, you know, not a big deal it is and how much of a drop in the bucket really it is to have one bad weekend. One bad weekend and you're still six games up. Folks, get over yourself. Bad things happen sometimes. Sometimes things don't work out the way they are supposed to work out. But work through the tough times and embrace the good times. Yes, I'll co-sign every bit of that. So, Jake, uh, with that, I think it's time we blow the save. Go ahead. All right, this week I want to blow the save with something actually that I read on Reddit. There was an uh, there was a post made, and I want to read it, if you'll be so, uh, so kind, Scott. I want to read it in its entirety. It's titled, It Was a Damn Pleasure, Baltimore. Love, Chicago. And it goes on as follows. So this past weekend, as the Orioles came into Chicago for back-to-back series against the White Sox and Cubs, a lot of fans came into Chicago. I work at a hotel, so I had the opportunity to meet a lot of Baltimoreans. That can't be right, can it? I also went to the first... actually Baltimoreans. (laughs) I also went to the first game of the Cubs series on Friday. And let me tell you, Orioles fans are now officially my favorite fan base outside of the Cubs. I would say that close to 40% of Wrigley Field was decked out in orange, and every person that I met and talked to was having a great time, in a great mood, as friendly as can be, respectful, and just downright good people. I applaud you, City of Baltimore. It was fantastic meeting all of you at Wrigley Field and at the bars afterward. I hope one day I can come to Camden Yards and make half a good as impre- of an impression on you. I, uh, I was and still remain impressed. That's exactly what I want to see. Yep. I loved this post. I loved everything about this because I was so worried that after 14 years of getting our, our teeth kicked in and 14 years of, of having Red Sox and Yankees fans invade our stadium and be jerks, that that was all we were going to know and that we were going to be jerks to other fan bases when we visited. Uh, DC doesn't care. It doesn't count. I don't mind no. being jerks to them. But it was so refreshing to read this from somebody who didn't have to say it. You know, it was somebody from Chicago who went out of the way to make sure that their voice was heard to say, hey, Baltimore Oriole fans, you guys were great. Thanks for coming. You showed up well. Totally agree, Jake. That's exactly what we want Birdland to be like. Represent Birdland. Way to be good Orioles fans. So, Jake, with that, we've come to the end. I've got nothing left. I think at this point, I should just bid Baltimore and beyond a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Keep the faith. Still six games up. Good things are looking ahead. Keep on that bandwagon. still here?
It's over. Go home. Go. Oh.